From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 192. It's brought to you this week by our sponsors, Pingdom, Casper, and the Layers Conference. I'm your host, Stephen Hackett, and I am joined, Wonder of Wonders, by both of my co-hosts. Federico Vitici, how are you? Hi, Stephen. Um, I'm a little, you know, I have this cold, but I'm I'm happy to be here. And I and you told me that this episode was gonna be strictly about business. Um, very very different tone for our comeback. Yes. So um, it's a, it's a lot of synergy. Okay. And a lot of um, mm-hmm. interdepartmental communication. Perfect. It's gonna be very good. Okay. Let's uh, let's business. Business right there. And we're joined by Mike Hurley. I was pretending to not be here. <laughs> this is, can can you <laughs> can you pretend not to be here when we are on Skype together? I could have walked away. Oh, uh, sure. Okay. Okay. So we're doing the regular show again. We're gonna start with follow up. That's where we start. Texture for Windows is dead. I don't know if anyone should be surprised by that. Texture, of course, being the the magazine subscription service that Apple purchased back a couple of months ago, I believe in March. The Windows app will not survive through the end of June. So users have been informed with an email saying that after June 30th, it will no longer be on the Microsoft Store. It is still, however, on Android and on iOS and on Amazon Fire devices. So if you have like a Kindle Fire or something, your kid's running around with one of those. It runs on, on that as well, but no longer on Windows. The Verge says that the app had not been updated in some time, and it has a bunch of really bad reviews about how poorly it works, and maybe Apple is just cutting their losses on that and not willing to invest in it. Um, I I would imagine that the Android app will probably stick around. That seems like an important place to be for a service like this, but who knows? It may disappear from there as well. Does anybody care? Do you guys care about this? No. I Um, I I was going to make some snarky joke, right, Mm. about, like, you know, Eddie Q said that they're committed to quality journalism from trusted sources, but like I guess, except if you're a Windows user, right? Like you don't, <laughs> you don't, don't, you, you don't get it. You don't get good news. You get bad news. But that's all I had. Mm, that's the joke. Okay, that was basically it. Like that, you know. Obviously, the delivery wasn't the same because I decided to just like tell you the bones of the joke mm. rather than like the real joke. Okay. I mean, if you want, like I can try and do no, the actual it's fine, joke. It's fine. It's fine. No, I think we're okay. Good. Yeah. We're good. We got it now. Yeah. We're all we're all together on this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. I'm playing. I'm playing the role of the cynic today. Um, oh, it's the year of optimism. Yeah. Is that? Well, it's coming to an end. No. And, but I have I have some optimism. Uh, but I have some cynicism. Um, no. Mostly about robot voices. But we'll get to that a little later on in the show. I, I think. like I liked optimistic Mike. Bring it back. I, I don't want. All right. Well. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the year restarts at WWDC, right? You're doing this June to June, so yeah, you know, it's we're gonna test it out today. We're gonna see if cynicism should be the next year. Mm, it should be okay. No, it shouldn't. Speak, speaking of cynicism, let's talk about Things Three. This is a an app that Federico, <laughs> you've been preaching the good news of for some time, including on the show, mm-hmm. and I. <laughs> was in some hot water with our listeners for kind of writing it off. And so I've been giving it some more time. And I wrote this blog post the other night because I finally understand the way it wants me to repeat tasks. The UI is terrible, but I get it. I like a lot about Things 3. I like that you can have lists within projects. It's all very clever. But there is one massive problem with it that totally breaks the way that I work. And uh, that is that repeating tasks cannot be checked off before they're due. So it's kind of hard to explain, but say that I have a task 
every Wednesday to take out the trash. And say that I take that out Tuesday night, I can't mark it complete until Wednesday. And uh, that's really stupid. And I wrote a blog post basically saying that, and a bunch of people agreed, and Culture Code has finally issued a statement on the matter, because I guess they a bunch of people were <laughs> adding them with the with the blog post. They got they got hacketed. They did. <laughs> saying that it is something they will be adding, but they can't offer a specific date yet. Clearly they can't mark it off before the due date they do put in it. So <laughs> I guess there's some stress Yay! there. That's the problem. <laughs> Yay! You made the joke. Um, isn't it this is like one of those things where nobody listens to podcasts, right? Yeah. Because we have spoken well, I mean, about this like four times now. People do listen to podcasts, but but because you can't link to them. Okay. Yeah, we, let me rephrase it. Nobody nobody pays attention, <laughs> right, except for the people that listen. We have a very large business based on podcast <laughs> listeners. It's like it, my my nobody is qualitative, right? Sure. Like or, you know, but it's like no one nobody will pay attention, right? Unless they're already listening. The people that listen, they pay a lot of attention. But I would assume that the person who tweeted to you, who read your article, uh, wasn't paying attention to the show. I don't know, right? But, like, it's just funny to me that we've spoken about this multiple times now and it took you writing about it on your blog. Even though blogging is dead and we all know that, um, it, that it took that to to get things to respond to you. It's very funny to me. It is. It is something. So we we all agreed, right? That blogging's dead. We all agreed that, right? Yeah, blogging yeah, is yeah, totally yeah, dead. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 So cool. I look forward to this being fixed because I think I talked about this. Like something like I don't know, like two thirds or something of my tasks each week are repeating. That's the the You're, nature you of owning a man of structure, right? I'm a like man of structure, just, yeah. and our business has things that need done at certain times like it's not you know it's not some walking around in the, in the forest singing to ourselves this is a, a real business you're, you're a man of of movable structure right the structure is there but you like to do it on your own terms right you know, like because sometimes you want to do t- tuesday's task on Monday. sure or if i'm if i've wrapped up tuesday stuff and oh hey look i got this thing tomorrow morning i can get a jump on the day then i'm gonna do that because i'm a responsible adult and uh so i'm excited but, like, that things I, through- I do this too right like i yeah. It really does baffle my mind that this is a, is like a restriction because, in my mind, like everybody does this. Like I, I'm surprised sure. that, that and no this, th- no other app does this. Like no other app works yeah. this way. I've used them all. Trust me, yeah. they're all on the dock on my Mac right now because I'm in between four to do apps again. Mm. Like every to do app has their foibles. Yeah. They all yeah. have them. I guess they they must be like institutionally against the idea of getting a head start on things that are coming next. Like when <laughs> I, like when I was in elementary school and I was a really good student, <laughs> but my mom used to tell me all the time that if I had the time, I should get the homework for like I don't know two days after get done in advance. Mm-hmm. And I was really against get that ahead. idea because I. If I'm done with my, with the homework for tomorrow, why should I also work on the homework for Thursday? Like, I'm going to get it done day by day. So I was really against that idea. And then I changed my mind when I was in high school. So maybe things, in a way, they're still in elementary school. And they need to learn that, mm-hmm. you know, adults like to get things done in advance. So maybe they're growing up. That's my yeah. that's the metaphor I choose to use today. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. There are a couple other things and things that still bother me. This by far is the showstopper. Like I don't love that that like the start date is like the most important thing in the UI and the due date sort of a, a an afterthought. But if you want dates to be preserved in the past, you have to use due date. Like that's all confusing, but I can work around it. But 
So we'll see what this. We'll see what happens when they ship this eventually, uh, if I'll make the move to things or not. But um, I just wanted to share that that I I got the dying grass of power out of blogging one last mm-hmm. time. So you're back on remember Woo-hoo. the milk now. Is that what you're using? No comment. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. Spe- speaking of blogging, I-, I put this in the document and I got moans from both of you. So I'm not going to drag you through this, but I just want to say it because it's I'm me. Uh, this week is the 20th anniversary of the iMac. And so there's some stuff over in 512 Pixels. Jason Snell wrote a thing on Six Colors and a thing on Macworld. I've linked to it all on the site uh, about this very important computer. And I know I spent a lot of time a couple years ago with them. It's just it's hard to overstate like the impact this single machine had because it gave Apple the money and like the runway to do things like OS 10, which got them to the mm-hmm. iPod. And after that, it's kind of all, you know, the the romantic turnaround story that we all know and love. But this machine was sort of ground zero for that. And uh, the thing that really blows my mind is I didn't really realize that when I wrote this post, but I realized that afterwards, there's only 14 years between the original Macintosh and the iMac. And now we're 20 years after the oh. iMac. Like, yeah, Ooh, it's, it's that's weird. And the OS X era is now longer than the classic Mac OS era. It's, it's weird to think about. Yeah, I think the only reason that me and Federico expressed uh, any moans over this is, I, I, yes, this is something that should definitely be recognized as a thing that happened. You but I would say that. that we have spent an extreme amount of time over the course of this show talking about the iMac, right? It's, it's because you went on your colored vision quest. Yes. Like I, I feel like that we have we have really done a service to that computer um that in a way that i i would be surprised if you had anything new to say about it i mean you could correct me if i'm wrong but we have we have spent a lot of time on it no i just i just wanted to hey the anniversary is now mm-hmm. yeah it should be marked i say it is important and i'm I'm very happy that it happened and it was a wonderful little machine um and i know Stephen, we can talk about this later on but you have some exciting things coming later on in the summer about this again so yes we'll um, talk about that keep soon. an eye out for that we can talk about that soon all right today's show is brought to you by pingdom the company who offer uptime monitoring and web performance management you're more familiar with pingdom than you may think because they help keep some of your favorite sites running smoothly every single day companies like evernote BuzzFeed, Netflix, Imja, if you've used any of those sites recently and not run into any trouble, you may have Pingdom to thank for that. Because if anything goes wrong on a website that uses Pingdom's monitoring, you will find out immediately. They will alert you in any way that you ask them to alert you, so you can jump in and fix what's going on and take a look. Because websites are really sophisticated right now. It's not a case of just, like, is my entire site up or down? Because we have things like contact forms and e-commerce checkouts and logins and search functions all stuff that like they're all independent in some ways they're all running maybe from somewhere else maybe they're using some code or something something that's hosted off site no matter what it is pingdom can make sure that they're keeping their eye on it so if you have any problems anywhere they are going to let you know all you need to do is give pingdom the url that you want to monitor and then they will take care of the rest you can go to pingdom.com relay fm right now and get yourself a 14-day free trial and there's no credit card required to do this Then, when you sign up for a plan, use the code CONNECTED at checkout, and you will get a wonderful 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. So WBDC is just around the corner, just uh, three weeks away or so. So it's time to talk about... (laughs) So it's time to talk about WWDC 2019. 
iOS 12, we will know all about in just a couple of weeks, but it's time to talk about iOS 13. Because yeah, iOS 12 is boring. <laughs> yeah. They're doing another one? <laughs> oh, no. It's because the iPad on- only gets updated every other year. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> did you just get told? Did you not know? <laughs> yeah, surprise. So that's what we're talking about. So uh, Mark Gurman has a collection of like tweets and stuff. Mac Rumors has rounded it all up. About iOS 13, so a year out, codenamed Yukon. And the idea here is that it is going to be or include a lot of iPad goodies, including a redesigned home screen mm. for the iPad, a revamped Photos app, improved Files app. I think one that I'm most excited about, honestly, is support for using the same app side-by-side like you can in Safari. Mm-hmm. Like, I would love to have that in Google Docs or Sheets in particular. And unspecified improvements to the Apple Pencil. So lots of iOS stuff. I, I want to talk about this stuff, but before we get into it, how... Do you guys feel about this every other year pattern? Because we we had iOS 11, and before that we had iOS 9. Mm. This, you know, if 13 is the next one, that's three dots. That makes a pretty convincing line that every 24 months we're going to see iPad stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is that is that often enough for what Apple says is the future of computing? Before we get to that that mm-hmm. answer, which is very a very good question, it's funny to me um, that Gurman tweeted this. I think this shows, like... The difference between like nine to five Mac and Bloomberg, I expect Bloomberg they want like more sources or whatever than he can give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Because this is an article. Like yeah. that's an article. Because Mac Rumors wrote it, you know, like they took Gurma's tweet and wrote an article with it. But he has not published this, right? I don't think, on, on anywhere, but it's stuff that he knows. So that's just funny to me. It must be something to do with like sources and where the, where the information is coming from. But anyway, Federico, why don't you answer uh, Stephen's great question? I think we're starting to see this sort of rhythm to the iPad and to productivity enhancements to iOS in that we're getting uh, the big release and then the mid-cycle refresh. And uh, like if you look, for example, last year, we, you know, with iOS... uh, with iOS 11, we got uh, the big release, but the iPads, uh, they were not like major uh, from a hardware perspective. I mean, sure, there were the, the 10.5 and the ProMotion, but it wasn't a radical new design. And this year, we're getting the what people say it's a boring iPad release, but in theory, we should be getting the new iPad design with the you know with the edge to edge design and Face ID, and it's a, it's an exciting mm-hmm. it's an exciting upgrade. And then next year, we're probably going to get, you know, the boring hardware, but the exciting software. So there's this TikTok schedule to the iPad software and hardware that I think it's interesting. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the optimal way to do it. Um, you know, say this is the future of computing, but it's coming on a two-year schedule. Um, <laughs> Sometimes you just got to take what you can get, though, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean... I would prefer that. Like TikTok mm-hmm. to just the tick, and then yeah. four years later, there's a talk. Sure, I wonder. I wonder if we are seeing some kind of pattern pattern here, but instead, it's just an anomaly. Like Apple is running into whatever problems they're running into in terms of bugs and stability and speed and performance. So this is not like a thing. It's just what Apple needs to fix this year. Because I'm surprised that, for example, stuff like Files uh, that came out last year, it's going to get improved in 2019. Um, I don't know if Apple wanted to do this. Or stuff like, for example, Tabs, which launched in Safari, I think, in iOS 10. Um, 
And everybody thought, oh, well, for sure, this is going to be an API next year. And instead, it wasn't. So I don't know if Apple wanted these um, iPad improvements to be postponed to 2019. But maybe they made a decision that this year it was more important to focus on you know, improving iOS and uh, whatever other things that we're going to talk about later they're doing in iOS 12. I think it's okay. I don't think it's the optimal way, and I don't think it should be. It should be like always what Apple does. I think it's more like an anomaly, and it'll change if they truly believe that the iPad is the future. I think it will change. I am fine with a two-year software cycle as long as we get like bug fixes to iOS 11 introduced features. There are a bunch of bugs in uh, files which need to be worked out. And also, as Federico said, if we get new iPad Pro hardware, like, and it's really cool hardware, like, I'm fine to wait, right? I think part of the reason that we were getting a little bit antsy before WWDC last year is we had hardware that was coming up to two years old and no software for the same amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. There was just nothing happening um, with the with the bigger iPad Pro, so uh getting getting something every year is fine for me because i feel like if you get one then you feel confident you're going to get the other right so if we get new ipad pro hardware this year i'm going to feel very confident there'll be new software stuff next year and then like that will just keep ticking through for me because the you know part of the problem part of the problem with this with all of this stuff is if you see nothing happening you assume nothing at all is happening Mm -hmm. because you can't see anything, right? You can't see anything, so yeah. you're yeah. not going to assume that anything else is going on. And those, the, the, the those iOS 13 potential things, like revised home screen and better files app and side by side apps, like all of mm-hmm. that sounds amazing. Um, and I'm cool to wait. Like I would like that stuff now, but like I, I'm, I can wait for it. I can be, mm-hmm. I can be patient. I want to talk about the home screen rumor quickly. Um, the idea that the home screen, especially on the iPad, I think uh, German said, it's going to get a major revamp. It's interesting to me uh, because if you look at iOS 11 and the the importance of the dock, especially in for multitasking, for split view and slide over, and if you look at the... Um, the role, sort of the diminished role of the home screen in general. I've seen tons of people um, basically stop caring about the home screen and just put stuff in the dock, whether it's uh, app icons mm-hmm. or folders. The dock is super important because of the way that you bring up in apps into multitasking. So I wonder if maybe the home screen could get the kind of revamp that basically has been rumored for years. So allow users to to essentially install widgets or, you know, little custom interfaces or maybe document shortcuts or application shortcuts, uh, which we're also going to talk about, you know, in regard to Android later. Um, But the idea of customizing the home screen uh, and letting users uh, pin widgets, documents, files, shortcuts, especially when you consider not only the dock, but... Yeah, exactly. Uh, But also, like... In iOS 11, Apple got rid of the multiple column layout in the in the widget view, which I thought was sort of a weird decision. Oh man, yeah. Uh, used to be. I forgot. About yeah, that. and I was really upset about that. <laughs> I was really upset about that, and I and I brought it up with some folks I think uh, last year privately, and the 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 consensus was just wait. And usually then I mm. don't want to read too much into it, but usually just wait means we're doing something else. 
But then... Yeah, in iOS 13, we're going to get six rows. Six rows so of widgets. I don't know what to think. It's just super tiny. But home screen revamp, mm-hmm. I mean, home screen revamp, it does not mean that Apple is now letting you, you know, instead of six rows, you can do seven rows. I don't think it's that. So it, it, it must It be. may just mean that, though, right? Like <laughs> It may. It may. Or uh, all, all I want is the icons not to move when they rotate. Just like, just don't make a new line. Also that. So how do you guys feel about having widgets or other stuff on the home screen? Widgets have to get significantly better than they currently are for me to care about that mm-hmm. honestly right like i just don't i use like a couple that of widgets maybe i use some basic information but like i would want to see and i guess it would right like if they're going to go on the home screen people will probably put more work into them but i use like three widgets that are useful and the rest that i've ever tried for most of the apps that i use it's just like here's a button and you press the button and it just opens the app, right? It's like, I don't really, I want more than that, you know? Like, Fantastical's widget's good. It's an app that I use called Clock, K-L-O-K, which is a like a wild clock widget, which is good. And Carrot Weathers is good. But that's kind of it for me. Yeah. Uh, it, it would be nice to have stuff like interactive, um, like more interactive interfaces or widgets. Because right now you swipe over and you basically can tap a few buttons but it, the widgets are super limited there's no real deep interaction um, it's just usually like a list of stuff that you can choose like when mm-hmm. you run a workflow from a widget you can just tap around a few things um, so I would love to see like ways to not force me to open an application every single time I need to do something more complex than just glance at like a list of items um, I don't know if Apple is is against that idea. It's very un- Android-ish in the sense that you can now do more stuff outside sure. of the app itself. But it, I mean, that's that would be that would be a revamp of the home screen for sure. I would love that honestly. I would like something, right? Like e- even if it is just the widgets that I don't use, the home screen feels so old at this point, right? Like the app grid just feels so. Mm-hmm like stagnant like nothing it's not changed in like yeah. in over Ever. 10 years yeah. um I, 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 that's an incredible amount of time considering how much work they've done to the rest of like the OS like iOS in many places is completely unrecognizable to iOS 1 right like <laughs> yeah. iOS 11 is in, in a lot of places like you you would look at these two things and you would never know that they came from the same place except for the home screen because it looks exactly the same the only difference is there's no shine on the apps anymore and the dock is a different color right like that's basically it um so i would love to see anything done to it because it it's it's needed at this point so the build conference was this past week and microsoft announced that all consumer apps not games sold in the microsoft store are going to see a revenue split now of 95 percent to developers and five percent to Microsoft. Uh, this split is only applicable if somebody buys your app via a link to the store or from a search. If Microsoft has featured your application and that's how the purchase was initiated, you get 85%, which is still a lot. So obviously, Microsoft are doing this because they're in a place of weakness mm-hmm. um, when it comes to software in their store. Because whilst there are still lots of Windows software, I think people sell it outside of the store. Basically the same problem Apple has with the Mac App Store. um, But Microsoft has just the one store for all of its devices, right? Um, So 95% 
is a pretty huge cut, which of course makes a lot of people that are developing on Apple's platforms think to themselves, wow, wouldn't it be nice <laughs> if, if Apple gave us 95%? So I wonder... I mean, obviously, we had the uh, subscription app thing, right, where it went from uh, 30 to 15%, right? If somebody had been subscribed for a year, the cut that you got was uh, was significantly increased from 70 to 85%. But do we expect Apple to ever break from the standard 70-30 split? I think they should. I don't know if I expect them to, but I think they should, especially because it's been 10 years since the App Store launched. And yes, maybe uh, the App Store now costs more money to maintain and to run on a daily basis. But also Apple is making tons more money than what they were making in 2008. Um, so I'm surprised that it's remained the same this long, honestly. Even just, I'm not saying Apple should you know, do it for free or give developers 95%, but maybe just moving from 17 to 80 percent uh, and retaining 20 percent mm-hmm. that would be that would be super welcome um it feels like i mean they, they must be making they must be making a lot of money off of uh you know uh games especially on the app store uh and in-app purchases and all that kind of stuff and subscriptions but they they did lower the commission on uh, subscriptions for the second year so it's possible it's clearly possible and I I struggle to believe that Apple is breaking even uh, on the App Store. Uh, it it feels, especially for developers who don't make, you know, I'm not arguing that Netflix should get a cut or Spotify should get a cut. You know, these big companies, but it feels a little unfair that the you know the smaller development studio or the indie developer, the small company, is treated the same way as the huge corporation with tons of money. I don't know. Hmm. Is this, is this a socialist argument? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I, I, you know, <laughs> Apple make a lot of money, you know, and, and I know that they're a business, but it can be argued that maybe they don't need all the money, right? Like, I, I don't, if they went from 70 to 80, mm-hmm. of course it would be for a, basically every company except them in the world would be a really significant change to their balance sheet. But I don't, I, I just, I really struggle to believe that it would be to Apple's, considering this is part of the services revenue, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. What was the services revenue? There was a tweet, I think from German, about the quarterly results that Apple has, has said that the, the services growth is driven primarily from the App Store. Not, not that Apple Music and iCloud Storage aren't contributing, they are, because mm-hmm. Apple Music is growing leaps and bounds, but that the App Store is still the engine behind that service growth. Changing this from, you know, uh, even even like a 10% change would, would yeah. I think, probably be noticeable in that services number each quarter. So It would be. Yeah. I think they, I agree with Federico, I think they should do it, but yeah. I don't know yeah. if I expect them to. Yeah. Well, they can't now because... They need to double their services revenue. <laughs> Yeah, because they have pumped and they have put so much focus on the services revenue as their growth area. Right, they cannot, they they cannot have it drop. They can't. Where like again, like again, it's what nine? It was nine billion, right? It was nine billion dollars out of sixty-one billion dollars. So like, if they, you know, if they lost two billion from that, it would be totally fine in the overall picture for them, right? Because of yeah. just how much money they're bringing in. But if they took that off 
of the nine billion that they're at now or whatever, it would drop them back down to like pre twenty seventeen levels, which they can't do right now because services is the is the growth area. That's where mm-hmm. their chart is like consistently yeah. going up. So even if they wanted to, they're kind of bound by Wall Street right now, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, also about that's a shame. I wanted to talk about Microsoft's approach here. Um, so the idea that games do not qualify for this um, lower commission, I could see. I mm-hmm. could see how this could go terribly on the App Store uh, because developers could game the system and just say, "Oh, this is not. This is not a game. Uh, this is an app, and it can qualify yeah, for." I, I feel like that this is not for like the small developers, though. This is to stop the amount of money they would have to give to EA mm. because the Microsoft Store is where you buy PC games. So, like, that that's why they're doing yeah. this because the money that goes through the Microsoft Store is for games. So, they, they, if, they, if they gave them 95%, Microsoft, like Microsoft's, like games division, would lose all of its money. Right? Like, I mean, it, it would just all go isn't away. Isn't that happening anyway? But still, yes. Oh, oh wow! Sick I'm bones. sorry. Yeah, I'm well, sorry. I mean, there's the question too of like any way you divide this up. If you say games don't get it, but other apps do, or you have to be an indie developer and big companies don't do it. Like. There will no matter where you cut the pie, there will always be somebody right under the knife blade. Someone will always feel like they're on the wrong side of the fence by mm. just a, a, a hair's margin. And so, yeah, anything like this has to be extremely well thought out and extremely well communicated. So when Apple makes a decision that a developer doesn't like, that developer at least knows what went into that conversation. Mm. You know when they. When they did the deal with subscriptions where, hey, if, if I'm a, a subscriber uh, to, you know, Evernote through the app and after the first year they get more of my money, like, that's pretty clear, right? Like, it's it's very understandable what happens when and if I stop my subscription and then I rejoin it later, what happens? Like, Apple thought through all that. I, I don't – maybe mm-hmm. I just have missed it, but I don't think there's been any, like, wide – complaints about the way that system works Mm. but that's different than like apple or microsoft defining what your app is and what kind of developer you are and that depends on you know how much you get paid depends on that so it's super complicated and messy i'm not saying that that's a reason not to do it but i think it's something worth considering that Mm. this is not as easy as just like changing the uh, little thing in the excel spreadsheet when they pay everybody it's Mm -hmm. it seems to be more complicated than that let me ask you this though yeah Um, do you feel like compared to 10 years ago, that there's a change of sentiment uh, toward Apple that um, sort of like a David and Goliath situation that 10 years ago when Apple introduced the App Store, uh, everybody felt like um, they're making us a huge favor. Uh, They only retain 30% and we get everything for free. So we don't have to care about hosting. We don't have to care about marketing because Apple is taking care of the payments and all all of that stuff. And everybody was happy because, uh, you know, selling software on the internet used to be, used to be, you know, not easy to do. And these days it feels to me like I've seen these arguments made on Twitter and on some blogs that, that Apple is now this huge corporation with tons of money and 30% is too much. Uh, and some developers saying, well, we actually went back to selling uh, software on our own websites. And these days it's fine. So uh, we don't feel like Apple retaining 30% is a fair commission anymore. Have you guys seen this type of um, feeling? 
Yep, but I don't think it. I, I I don't think Apple's the problem. I think that people are like they they are focusing their anger at Apple. But like, if you think about it, they're offering all the same stuff that they offered back in two thousand and eight. There's mm-hmm. more stuff, right? There are more things than there ever were before. They've improved a bunch of areas. You know, like if you ask, I think probably the same people sometimes out of context, they'll tell you that the app store's gotten a lot better in the last year or two, right? With like approval times and all that sort of stuff increasing, like right. in speed. The problem isn't Apple, in my opinion. It's that the tide changed. Like when the app store debuted, small indie app developers were making the bulk of the money. Now they don't. Mm-hmm. Now it's free-to-play iOS games with in-app purchase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And whilst Apple could and probably should do a lot about the in-app purchase stuff, right? Because, you know, that growth in the in the App Store, that growth is in, like, in-app purchases for coins in Clash of Clans, right? Or whatever, right. right? Like, that's where that growth is. Um, but I think that because the, the kind of the, the pie is now very different, people were more upset uh, about the app store in general and like the app store economics and the only people that they can focus it on the only the only individual the only entity that it can be focused on if you are upset about it is at apple it's like apple you must fix this but now apple can't fix it it's it, it is what it is and they can do a bunch of stuff to maybe make some things better but the idea of like fixing it meaning we want more money again well it that 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 ship has probably sailed at this point. I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely complicated, and I don't envy anyone who makes their living on the app store and is you know set uh, set their their boat upon those those waves. But mm-hmm. there is a discussion too, I think, related to this in things like how the app store is improved for developers and what else Apple could do to. Uh, to benefit it you know there was a lot of talk uh when did they add the search ads was that last year was that with 11 <sighs> no i think, I it, think was, it, was year yeah, it was a couple of years 10. ago yeah whenever it was uh you know there's that has been i think a pretty mixed bag for a lot of developers and and search is still pretty bad like you search for a third-party app you know the name of and its competitors ad shows up or the competitors top you know mm-hmm. there's still a lot the competitors of, ad showing up is not a problem because that's the point I, of the system right but like your app not showing up at all which does happen sometimes that's the problem I think there are rules around buying your buying against your competitors' names. I'm, no, I'm not positive. I think they allowed that. I, th- I think I think they allowed that that you could buy. I, I do your remember. Names. I do remember something uh, like Stephen about the the keywords, like recommendation by Apple. Maybe I don't know. I don't remember. Anyways, yeah. that's whatever the result. That stuff could all be better. Search could be better. I think. Mm-hmm. Developers who are featured in their in the app stores, like you know, really rich ecosystem, to have articles and, and lists and stuff. I think they're still seeing a benefit from that, but there's there's pros and cons there as well. So, yes, more money would be great, and I'm sure if you're a developer, you're smashing your phone uh, in in hopes to, that we say Apple should do this 100. I think I think they should, but I think there's other stuff here. While we're talking about the app store, while we're talking about developers, other things that that Apple could do because like you said, Mike, Microsoft doing this, Microsoft's position in, in some ways is a lot simpler because the Microsoft store is really bad and they are trying mm-hmm. to draw developers into it. They're trying to draw customers to it. And they are, I mean, I think the Mac app store is barren, like just load up the Microsoft store sometime on a PC. It's, 
it's not a, a great look in there. And a lot of stuff for like these progressive web apps, like Twitter has a new Windows app, but it's really just a progressive web app that they put in the store. Um, so Microsoft's trying to grow their base. Apple is trying to steer a ship that is massive and already going 100 miles an hour. And it's uh, it's more complicated when you try to to do that, I think. But um, we'll see. I mean, uh, this would be great news, you know, for developers, for all of our friends who make their living on the App Store. Uh, more money in their pocket is good. I, I think it would benefit. De- it would obviously benefit developers, but I think it would it would benefit users as well because developers would be better incentivized, or maybe even in some cases, maybe this ten or fifteen percent would make it possible for them to do a lot more in their app that they that they struggle to do now. So, uh, I'd say I say Apple should pay up. I would maybe say that like if they're going to do this, maybe they should focus on the Mac App Store first, mm-hmm. right? Because. Well, if, good, if, like they're oh. good for the iOS App Store, right? The iOS App Store has got lots of apps. The Mac App Store could maybe do with a little bit of incentivizing. Yeah, I mean, if um, if Marzipan or whatever is coming at some point, then uh, I think the Mac, I think the Mac App Store is on hold until whatever that is happens. Mm-hmm. So, because then I could imagine them saying, right, like we'll give you an extra five percent if you put it on the Mac or whatever, right? That you might get like. There might be some kind of incentivizing then. I could see something it's like that. Call a bribe. Because then overall... In- <laughs> Bribing developers. <laughs> I would say, you know, as I said to you before, Federico, sometimes sometimes you just need to grease the palm, right? That's, sure, yes. That's sometimes <laughs> yeah. that's the way you get things done. you said that to me before. <laughs> I have a feature request that I'm just going to... I've tweeted about it and I'm going to put it out on the show too. Uh, do not disturb while watching video. Hmm. I would like that. Yes. Um, because, I mean, there should be better do not disturb options in general. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a moment. And then also when we talk about Google I.O. shortly. But I would be like to, I would like to be able, right, to have a, a setting to show no notifications while watching video. Because all day I work on my 12.9 inch iPad. So notifications can be useful there, right? Like that you, you're sitting in front of the device and it's such a big screen that a notification coming down doesn't really get in your way and it's there if you need it and you can tune them and you can have whatever you want come up. Like if I get Slack DMs and stuff, which typically I want to know about. Um, and then also as well, like, you know, I could get them on my watch, I could get them on my phone, but it's way better to have it on the device that you're actually using at that time so you can tap it and go to the notification. But on that same device, I also watch video in the evening. Mm-hmm. So like when sometimes when me and Adina are eating or pretty much every day when we're eating, we'll like to have a show on in the background. And with the way that our house is set up, it's easier to just put the iPad on the on the dining table and we'll watch something there. And then we might watch continue watching it later on the sofa, right? It's just the iPad is like a portable screen that we can use for this stuff. So what I... What I don't want then is when I'm watching that video for notifications to be coming through because that's really frustrating and annoying for everybody. And I've thought about like experimenting with setting do not disturb from like 7 p.m. on my iPad Pro, but I don't think this is the best way to solve this problem because then it wouldn't account for weekends, right? So let's say that we're like we're earlier in the day we're watching something on it and then then the notifications start coming through because the do not disturb's not set up properly i also don't want to be in this situation where like i have to remember to do a thing so like mm. i don't want to ever have to like i don't want to be in a situation where i have to remember to set do not disturb every time we sit down i had a few people recommend trying guided access and like setting it as a, a shortcut on the on the home button this is that thing where you can set up an ipad and kind of lock it into a certain application or whatever 
whatever. And with guided access, it is possible to like disable notifications when you're in that mode. But I also don't want to do that because it's the same as the do not disturb thing where I'm only ever going to remember to do that after the first notification comes in and I will be annoyed about it every single time. Like every single time it happens, which will be pretty much every day, it will always annoy me. So I think that also this could be extended like screen mirroring, for example, you should never get notifications yes. when you're in screen mirroring yes. mode. Um, like that's just a bad idea. <laughs> we, uh, so we actually this... talked about that on Query recently. On the Mac, mm-hmm. if you do that, it puts it in Do Not Disturb, but it doesn't do it on. It blows my mind that it doesn't oh, do it on man. iOS. That's and just in general, like all of the Do Not Disturb settings are not good enough, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. But I think that this one is a simple one um, that could be added. And I was reminded by Federico. Um, that he had written about this in his iOS 11 review yeah, as there well. Was a, and yeah. I obviously have read yeah. it. Uh, the, the idea of when I'm watching a video, I don't want to be disturbed. Uh, I can so relate to your problem, Mike. Uh, every time we're watching like a TV show or a movie, and so Silvia is like, why are your friends talking to you? It's like the way that she uses your exactly. friends, it makes me feel bad because it's all like work notifications <laughs> and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... I do, I do think that there should be either, either like a, an automatic mode in settings to say whenever I'm watching a video, uh, engage, do not disturb. Um, or maybe, here's a free idea, uh, there could be a little do not disturb icon in the video player UI. Apple has a standard video player UI on iOS, and there's enough room to put in like a little moon icon that you can tap and you enable do not disturb on a video by video basis, I suppose. Um, but I would very much prefer like a system API and a setting that developers can also use. So it would work with Hulu, it would work with HBO, with YouTube and whatever. And everybody could say uh, the user is, watch- is watching a video, um, so do not disturb his on. Um, and also I think I, w- I was looking on Twitter a few days ago, Mark Gurman, he was on, a, on this tweet storm about WWDC that was not an article, it was a tweet storm. Uh, and he was he just casually mentioned, this, this is what he does now, he just casually mentioned that do not disturb is getting a bunch of improvements um, in iOS. 12 and i and i was wondering about that like what does it mean that it will be you know more granular more fine-grained controls i would love to see uh first of all filters for individual apps because maybe i want to enable do not disturb for everything except slack for example, or accept mm. iMessage. So it would be nice to have this kind of exceptions to the general rule, which you can do with contacts, but you cannot do because there's a do not, what's it called, bypass, emergency bypass, I think. Uh, but you mm-hmm. cannot do with individual apps. Or, but that's only on phone calls, though. Or messages, right? maybe. Like, I don't know. Uh, no, only it's on just phone, phone calls. calls. So, uh, like me- it's only phone so calls. So apps would be nice. Also, uh, we've talked about this before more much more apple watch settings in the sense that i want to be able to say really fine-grained stuff like in slack unless it's this specific room or this specific channel do not send me notifications if it's from this person in this channel go to the apple watch uh, so the ability to really control my notifications and my do not disturb settings, that would be amazing. And also I wonder if maybe Apple should kind of borrow from Android and the the whole idea of notification channels, of separating different types of notifications, even if they are from the, from the same app. And you could do things like, 
you should mute notifications from Tweetbot unless it's a direct message type. And in that case, uh, send them to me. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that, that Apple could do with notifications and do not disturb. And I think uh, Dieter Bone at The Verge had a really good video, an article a few weeks ago, uh, that people should check out because it's, it basically shows like how far ahead Android is in terms of notica- notifications uh, and management of notifications compared to iOS. I hope that they do something. Yeah. I really want to see something. Um, and But there is a company that's doing a lot of this stuff already, and that is Google. Mm-hmm. And Google I.O. was yesterday, and we should talk about some themes from Google I.O. But before we do, let me thank Casper for the support of this show. They're the company focused on sleep, dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. Casper, understand that you spend a lot of time in your life sleeping. You know, this varies for, from person to person, but on average, you spend about a third of your life on your mattress. So if you spend a third of your life on something, don't you want it to be the best it could possibly be? Well, it can be if you get a Casper mattress because they're perfectly designed for humans with engineering that will help soothe and support your natural geometry, giving you all the right support in all the right places. Casper mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce, and that is what makes them so comfortable. They're designed and developed in the U.S., and their breathable design helps to regulate your body temperature throughout the night. With over 20,000 reviews and an average rating of 4.8 stars, Casper is becoming, very quickly, the internet's favorite mattress. And I bet one of these things is because you can buy a Casper mattress risk-free because you get a 100-night sleep-on-it trial. They'll deliver a mattress directly to your door, and if for any reason you don't love it, Casper has a hassle-free return policy. Stephen Hackett, I know that you have the joy of spending every night on a Casper mattress. Actually, I know that you have just been away from your Casper mattress for, for a week or two. Can you tell me what it was like to return? Was it, was it a joyous <laughs> occasion? It was a joyous occasion. It's uh, it's starting to get hot here in Memphis. You know, we're kind of having our first, our first hot early summer days, and a lot of mattresses, foam mattresses, you sink into and you get hot and sweaty. But uh, not true with Casper. It's it's really great no matter the weather. So yeah, I came back. It was hot in Memphis, but I'm not hot in uh, in the bed. It's really good. <laughs> and now, <laughs> okay. This is, uh, and now Casper has their own podcast. Are you ready for this? This is going to take me a moment to get this out. Okay. It's called, uh, it's Casper the Podcast, sponsored by Casper. It's an entire podcast about Casper, sponsored by Casper. It's all very meta. You can check it out on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Uh, it's the Casper the Podcast, sponsored by Casper. Uh, you could get $50 towards select mattresses by going to casper.com slash connected and using connected at checkout. Terms and conditions apply as casper.com slash connected and the offer code connected. Our thanks to Casper for their support of this show and Relay FM. Man, you nearly broke me. Like, that was nearly it for me. Uh, Google I.O. Uh, got a few key things to talk about with Google I.O. We're not going to go for everything um, but because Google I.O., I have no idea how they pack what they pack into the time that they get it done in. Um, it, it is luckily it has gotten shorter and a little bit more focused in recent years, but they really do go through a lot of stuff, like including like the Waymo thing. It's like, yes, that was interesting, but like, did that? Did you need to do that right then? I don't know. Yeah, not anyway, in a keynote, right? Like, <laughs> it was like you know, like especially because there's not really a thing. Google do this as well, like, and, and I'm going to complain about this at points during our conversation today in more detail, but they just announce stuff and they're just like, oh, one day. <laughs> it's like, why, why are you showing me? It's so weird. Anyway, 
Uh, Assistant. There are six new voices for Google Assistant. They spoke about this technology last year that they developed to help them create new voices quicker. Um, They've put that to test now with six new voices that are rolling out, including John Legend, which is... Kind of hilarious. Uh, John Legend and Chrissy Tagen have been doing really great uh, Google ads, Pixel ads recently. Um, John Legend is maybe the first time I've ever seen a celebrity actually commit to a brand deal with a phone creator in that he actually tweets from Android and like there was that whole thing with him and Kanye recently, right? Where they would like texting Mm -hmm. each other and the messages were green. Like John Legend actually is using a google pixel unlike basically every celebrity that does a deal with a a smartphone company who just continues to use an iphone no matter what um but anyway so catching up to amazon is a big thing for google with the assistant as well uh there's a few things that they're doing getting a conversation mode so you can do multiple requests without needing to say the google trigger phrase each time um, and they went into some detail about this, about how they're doing it, which is really interesting, about understanding what and means. Mm-hmm. Uh, multiple actions per request, which is awesome. So you can say, like, dim the lights and turn on the TV. That is really cool, and I'm very jealous of that. And they've also got a pretty please mode for families, which requires you to say please when asking requests, and the Google Home gives thanks for politeness. So these are all things I think... I don't know if Amazon's doing the multiple request thing, uh, but they are doing the other two at least. Mm. Um, so pretty cool if you are if you use the Google Home products. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think it just really shows how far ahead Amazon is in this stuff. And Google's not playing catch up with Siri on anything. <laughs> like it, very clearly we know the ranking now mm-hmm. between, these, between these services. Yeah. And, you know, part of this might be that, like, Amazon don't have a version of this, so they just put this stuff out when it's ready, right? There isn't, like, the Amazon developer conference where they do a big keynote. So, like, they just they just put stuff out whenever they want, right? And they're not like Apple that has to wait for a full firmware release, basically, mm-hmm. to update something, right? Like, they can just do these things. They just do it whenever they want. Although, terrible, just terrible at rolling things out internationally. I still don't have any of the features we've been talking about recently. Really? Yeah. Not even one of them? Re- I don't have, like, the, the follow-up mode. It just, just just nothing. Oh, wow. It's very I mean, you speak the same language. Uh, smart dis- it's still English. So, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well. Turns out. Uh, smart displays. We heard about these uh, a while back. Um, I think at CES they were showing them off. Mm-hmm. These are going on sale in July. Uh, one of the big things that they showed us today was YouTube integration. Unlike the Echo Show, um, the, the Google Assistant smart displays will be able to watch YouTube videos and YouTube TV. They do video calling via Duo. Um, smart home apps can integrate with it. They show the Nest Cam, so you can see your Nest Cam. And they're working with other companies and developers. They showed something cool that I liked, which was cooking instructions with Tasty uh, that looked really cool. They were like showing little videos, and you could tap through. Plus, the hardware that they showed on stage, which is the LG one, which is coming first, is significantly better looking than the Amazon show. Yeah, it's not hard. Um, not hard, but but a lot better. So that smart display stuff, I was watching that. I was like, that looks cool. Like, I would put one of those in my kitchen because it had more of a compelling story to me than the Echo Show did. Yeah, the, the YouTube integration does, sells it for me. If I was in the market for mm-hmm. one of these, like, that alone would be enough to go this way instead of Amazon. This is a, probably the most contentious thing 
that came out of the Google I.O. keynote, which is that Google Assistant will be able to call businesses for you to set up appointments. Mm. Um, it's being called Google Duplex is the technology that is uh, powering it because it's a mix of different things from like Assistant and all of their uh, machine learning. And it's like it's way more than just the Assistant that's, that's meaning for them to do this. If you ask Google Assistant to make a call for you to make a business, say to book a haircut, which was one of the examples that they showed, and they had some actual phone calls that they were playing, uh, businesses do not know that it is a robot that is calling them. They just take the calls if it's normal. The assistant adds ums and ahs and mm-hmms and like up-talking, right? Um, like a human does, which is stuff that the assistant currently doesn't do. Uh, the demos seem very impressive in the fact that they work, the ones that they were showing. But this is one of those things where it's no time frame on when this will be available. They just showed it for a reason. I don't understand why. Like this isn't. They gave absolutely no time frame on this. Oh, how can I help you? Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May third. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. Sure. What time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like. What service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. So I want to know from you guys, is this a good thing or a bad thing? So as soon as I watched the video, because I didn't I didn't watch the keynote live and I watched uh, separate videos afterwards, I thought this is incredibly cool. And I showed the video to Sylvia and I thought, you know, this is amazing. It's a robot and it sounds like a human. And technically, I think it is super impressive, honestly. Like, it's one of the most impressive things I've seen lately. But then I thought about it. If they, if this actually works the way that they're it's amazing. showing that it works, it's, right? It's, and then it is a technical achievement hitherto ever yeah. created, right? Like, it is an incredible technical achievement. Yeah. And then I thought about it. And I got this feeling of, I don't want to say creepiness, but... It just felt kind of weird, honestly. And I understand why um, some people are welcoming this kind of feature for very specific examples. Uh, so, you know, there's a, well, some people, for example, have problems um, talking on the phone to other people uh, because of social anxiety issues. Uh, and that is totally fair. I can see how having this kind of feature could help those people. But I just watching some folks from Google on stage demoing this and you know bunch of developers clapping and being excited it just felt kind of dystopian in the sense that it feels like a dream from some silicon valley dudes who thought you know wouldn't it be cool if we can get the robots to make a reservation for us at the restaurant and they're like laughing in the background of a room as the google assistant is making a reservation for a table i just feels weird and maybe dishonest i don't know but there's something about it that to me is both 
technically amazing and jaw-dropping, honestly. And also, unless you need it, because you, you have very specific problems in talking directly to another person on the phone, can't you just make a phone call? You know, like, yes, it is boring. Yes, it is, you know, I, I don't have fun making a reservation at the restaurant. I don't know, it just feels kind of weird to me. Like, look at your privileged yes. life. Yes, yes. You are so important and busy. You're letting your You would assist. never even dare speak to a receptionist. I mean, come on. <laughs> Honestly. Just, uh, I so don't know. I'm pleased that you, uh, Stephen, you say what you want to say too. Go on. I, it's weird. Like, I mean, we, we played a clip for you a second ago. It sounds like a person. And the we talked about it on Clockwise today. And I, the thing that sticks in my mind is what happens when the assistant runs out of data that it knows about you, right? So it knows about your calendar. It knows what kind of haircut you want. But say that, you know, you're making an appointment and they ask a question that the assistant just doesn't know the answer to because it's not in your phone or it's, you know, something, you know, that it doesn't have access to for some reason. Like, then what happens? Like, does it say, oh, oh, by the way, I'm a robot and uh, bye. You know, it's like runs away. (laughs) Or do you get an option to like be added to the call? I don't know. And so that that's something that I would never use this because of that, that I just want to, um, uh, I just want to know for sure that it, it knows what's going on and is getting it right. Uh, yeah. I really, really don't like this. I, 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 this makes me very uncomfortable and in some places mad. This is where I thought I was going to be uh, Mr. Cynicism today, yeah. but I feel like you two are maybe on the train with yeah. me. Yeah. Um, because this feels like disingenuous, like you're tricking someone, like, and they are going out of their way to trick someone by adding the, the natural speech stuff in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't so understand for, why so it cannot present me, itself as a robot. Like, why can't that be the way that this let works? Let me put I don't, it this I don't way. Get let it. me put it this way. Imagine that you have kids and they go to school. And there's the teacher-parents uh, meeting that they do, you know, schools do. And someone, let's say Google, invented this amazing technology that you can buy a replica of yourself that is actually a robot and can go around town and do things for you. And nobody knows it's a robot. It looks like you and it behaves like you and it talks like you, but it's actually a robot. And you send the robot to the teacher's parents meeting. And, you know, the, the, the teacher has no idea. He, he thinks, you know... Uh, they're talking to you and suddenly the teacher asks a question that you know the robot doesn't know the answer to because it's a personal question and the robot goes by the way i'm a robot i'm not really the, the kid's parent <laughs> <laughs> and then runs out the door runs out of, i mean wouldn't that be weird just because it's happening on the phone and there's that separation you know that distance doesn't make it less weird to me that it's a robot pretending to be you because it's making a reservation for you after all and it's making an appointment for you. It's, it's. I mean, it, it's it's so creepy, honestly. <laughs> like this, this, this to me, this is fixed by being upfront. Like, if you ask it to make the phone call for you, and the phone call is initiated with also, I believe, companies that should opt into it. I don't see mm. this isn't so much of a problem to me at that point, right? Like, businesses can say, yeah, we're fine to take the like we don't want to have an online ordering system but if people want to use google assistant to call us then we can take the the request and then it would be a way more efficient way of doing it but the reason that they're not doing it that way is because they want it to get to every single company on the planet 
And that is what I don't like about it. It, it makes me feel uncomfortable that they have, they're going out of their way to trick people mm-hmm. so they can get to everyone. And, and I don't, I really don't like it. I, I know why people thought it was cool, but as soon as the first demo started, I, I got a really bad yeah. feeling. Like, I, I didn't, I really didn't like it because I, I don't like where this could go. Yeah. Personally, I think that this is this is not this is not a oh Google that's anyone could do this and I would feel like this. Yeah. I, I don't feel that this is inherently bad because it's Google. I just don't like this. It's um yeah. And and yeah, I, I actually feel like this doesn't tie in with some other themes that Google are trying to promote in this conference, but I'll get to that in a little bit because I want to just, we'll just move on from this because we could just keep having this conversation for another half an hour. Um, I saw a tweet from MKBHD today. He said, after Google's improvement to their assistant, Siri has gone from one of the pioneers of voice assistants to seeming like an absolute joke. So if we just forget about that whole conversation we just had about this duplex thing and just go back to focusing on assistant again, like there are a bunch of features and stuff that we didn't get into, but like there was a whole new uh, visual UI which pulls in information for you into Google Assistant, which is kind of like what Google Now was, but more um, intelligent. And so there's a lot of stuff going on. And unlike the anecdotal evidence that people talk about or why they think Siri is bad, right? Like, oh, Siri answers this question poorly or blah, 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 right? This is something that is that cannot be denied, right? It's like the features that Google are adding to Assistant that Apple is just not adding to mm-hmm. any of their Siri products. Like Google picked up the Apple's ball and they ran around the globe with it, right? Like they just have absolutely lapped them. Like Assistant is advancing at a breakneck pace. And I feel like right now, Google Assistant and Siri, they are so different in in features that they may as well be considered completely different categories of thing like they're not the same anymore Mm. like what siri does is just one feature of what google assistant can do because it's so much more at this point one feels like a platform or a service that runs everywhere and the other is more like a utility that is on your phone and Mm -hmm. is on your tablet and is on your watch and it's getting better but I honestly, I think it's pretty clear by now that Apple didn't foresee just how much the digital assistant would become a platform, would become the product instead of an addition to the product. And how Google and Amazon saw this feature of there's this assistant type layer that is everywhere and how Apple still was still stuck in their ways of we make the phone, we make the iPad, we make the Mac and then we bring Siri, you know, multiple instances of Siri to each individual device but it's not really a platform it's not really this kind of service that incorporates other services and it talks to other, you know, third party um, apps and websites and now they're playing catch up here and I don't think, I don't know if they ever can, you know, catch up with with uh with Google and Amazon because the more that Apple keeps uh fixing Siri and the more Google and Amazon keeps you know they keep going beyond what we can imagine so uh there's a lot of pressure on Apple you know for uh WWDC at this point it seems like they they didn't to your point they didn't expect it to take off and then once it did because this has been going on for a while now they they just have struggled to to like put the car back in gear, right? They've struggled to 
make any real momentum. Like if you see where Syria is now and Syria was three or four years ago, it's still a very straight line, seemingly unaffected by the outside world. Like they're still just adding things to SiriKit to app categories at a time. It's like, no, no, like (laughs) you have fundamental issues and fundamental differences with your competition and they have been able to address that yet. So maybe it'll be this year. I you know, I don't think there'll be. I think we'll we'll be here in a month and talking about how it's weird that Siri didn't get much stage time. Like, what's going on there? Um, you know, they've got that new hire now, the guy from Google, and I know they've been making real efforts in this area. But it, at some point, you just wonder, like, could could they ever catch up? Is it is it going to be possible to ever uh, be competitive again? I I I don't. I really struggle to see it because one of the big areas that these assistants can continue to get better is in artificial intelligence. And I struggle to see anybody being able to catch up with the insane lead that Google has. Mm-hmm. And like the, the lead that they have is not even in just what we can see. Like the lead that they have is the amount of data that they have available to them. Yeah. That just nobody else has. Like it's only Google that has it. And I would be super surprised to see anybody launch something which is competitive with Google Assistant because where are you going to get all that data from? Like, there's only so many horses and mountains you can buy, right? Like, and that's that's not enough. Um, and and I I would be really intrigued to see what Apple's response to this will be because honestly, the response might be we're just not going to do it because we can't. So. We'll see. All right, there's more to this. There's some inter- There's still some more interesting stuff to come. But before, let me thank our final sponsor this week, and that is the Layers Conference. Uh, Layers is a design-focused, developer-friendly conference that's an amazing experience for anyone working in the technology industry. And it takes place June 4th to 6th, right around the corner from WWDC. So it's WWDC week from June 4th to June 6th in San Jose. Layers has an incredible lineup featuring a diverse array of speakers with incredible accomplishments and stories to share. Like Jessica Heesh, whose lettering and type design includes a US stamp and a font for Wes Anderson. Jessica is incredible. I'm a big fan of hers. Uh, Angela Guzman, who's one of the original Apple emoji designers. And Ryan McLeod, 2017 recipient of uh, an Apple Design Award for his amazing puzzle game, Black Box, which is that game in which you have to do a bunch of really weird stuff to to complete it, including, like, I think you have to, like, open the game on a plane or something to unlock one of the achievements. It's really wild. Uh, Jesse Char and Elaine Power Layers organizers. They're both ex-Apple employees, and this definitely shows and the attention to detail that they put into every part of the conference, from the swag to the snacks to the amenities table and to the type of coffee that they serve. Everything at Layers is carefully curated. If you're going to be in San Jose for WWDC week, you should consider adding layers to your list of activities. Um, I'm going to be swinging by it as a couple of talks that I think are kind of unmissable at this point. Uh, you can find out more right now at layers.is. That's L-A-Y-E-R-S dot I-S. And if you want to buy a ticket, use the code RELAY and you'll get $50 off. Thanks to Layers for their support of this show. If you're going to be in uh, San Jose around WWDC, go and check it out. You're going to have a great time. Digital well-being. Mm. This is one of the big things that, that Google were talking about throughout the entire uh, conference, and it, and it touches on a couple of areas. Um, they spoke about a thing called JOMO, which is the joy of missing out, which is the opposite of FOMO, the fear of missing mm. out. Um, they broke down this digital well-being into four things. One, understand your habits. 
Two, focus on what matters. Three, switch off and wind down. And four, find balance for your family. And they're integrating these four kind of pillars into a bunch of different things. Um, it seems like most of what they're talking about right now is YouTube and Android as the two places that they're focusing most on. So, for example, YouTube is getting uh, the helpful slash patronizing do you want to keep watching prompt that netflix has <laughs> yeah. you know like where it's shaming you uh into having sat for six hours watching videos or however long they're going to set it to um and then in android p one of the features that it's getting to focus on this was actually quite a few so one of the big thing is focused around something they're calling dashboard the dashboard shows you a breakdown of time spent in your applications with graphs and charts and developers can even show you the time spent on other platforms so for example in youtube it would show you how much time you spent in YouTube, no matter where you're watching it. And also developers can, uh, they can offer up different tasks to um, the system. So you can know that like, not only have you been spending time in, say for example, they haven't said this, say Chrome, you can say, oh, you spent it on these websites. Um, obviously, I think this is very interesting because that's time tracking, my friend. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I like the sound of that. I would love it if my iPad could do that stuff for me, especially if that data was accessible uh, by other applications. Uh, you can set time limits in apps, like of how much time in a day you want to spend on an app. And if you go over it, the icon will be grayed out. Nice. Okay. They have a do not enhance, enhancements to do not disturb that if you turn your phone over whilst it's set down on a table, it will turn on do not disturb automatically. And it then, when you're in Do Not Disturb, it restricts what's shown on your screen. I believe, from from what I've seen, uh, I couldn't confirm this, no notification UI is shown on the screen when you're in Do Not Disturb, which is very different to, to how it's been previously. And they're also introducing a wind-down mode. So you set your chosen bedtime, and after this time has elapsed, Do Not Disturb mode is enabled automatically, and the screen, your screen, is set to grayscale, which is apparently this thing, which has, this has been like a big buzzy thing recently because of, I think it's just an article that was written in the New York Times that like setting your phone to grayscale makes you want to use mm-hmm. it less. I've never done it. I have no idea if it works, but people say that it does. What do you guys think of these Android editions? Um as someone who's been, um, you know, for for basically the past six months, uh, trying to intentionally miss out on more things to do other things in life, um, I'm all about this stuff, man. Honestly, like, I think it's a, I think it's amazing that companies are now realizing that there should be better tools to help people detach themselves a little bit more from you know, social feeds and and the news or whatever. Um, I know that, you know, as humans, we should probably have a better sense of self-control. But sometimes, and I've noticed this myself, and I think I'm doing a little better now, um, especially initially, you need a little push. You need a little way that technology can help you detach and and say, maybe maybe it's not healthy that I'm spending like four hours on Twitter every single day. And every time I open my timeline, I get depressed. Um, I, think it's, I think it's great that... And there's counter-arguments to this. And I know that Mike wants to, wants to play the, the, the cynic card here. Uh, but I think, I think it's good that we as users, as people, we now have these tools. And I, and I hope that Apple is working on a similar initiative um, I don't know why we have suddenly woke up to the fact that, you know, these devices can be, not the devices, but maybe our habits can be bad for us. Um, 
could be could be the, the you know maybe the direction that the world has taken i don't know but still i welcome these features uh, because i've i've tried to do this myself not with these tools but you know the, the same principles apply and i'm a fan of um having a better way to do this, especially if you're just getting started and you're like, I want to start using my phone less. What, what can I do? And if you get a little, a little help, you know, a little dashboard, a little a few numbers, a few, a few stats that can help you understand what you're doing wrong, I think that's a, that's a good change. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think all of us want that in our lives, but it's hard. It's hard to get the, the start, but I think it's also hard without numbers to like quantify it. So I think it's one reason the Apple Watch has remained sticky for so many people, like with the fitness stuff. Hey, I can see that I've worked out, you know, these many days or that, you know, for 18 days I met my stand goal, but then I missed it. And you run the risk that the that the numbers become the game and not the device, I guess. Like there's, mm-hmm. like there's two sides there. But I think for people who want to be less engaged in their phone, these sort of tools are, are useful. And I guess we'll see how it plays out. Um, I, I sure would like to see Apple do more of this on the iPhone in particular, but I, I guess we'll I guess we'll see. That was something else that Mark Gurman said, that all of this stuff is also going to be a focus of WWDC this year, um, which I think is 100% spot on. Like I, I thought that they were going to focus on some of this stuff um, in the education event, but but they didn't really. Um, I expect that this will be a focus just because Apple's been kind of under fire for this recently about not thinking about humans and families and all that kind of stuff. But my cynicism for this uh, <laughs> uh, is not the idea. The idea is great. The problem is the balance. So, like, Google is spending a bunch of time talking about how we need to consider our digital well-being, how we're using our devices effectively, like properly, how uh, all of this stuff can affect us. But at the same time, they're like wanting to remove human interactions with telephone calls, right? Like it, that is that better for us as humans to like not interact with as many people in our daily lives? Or like they added some stuff for maps, right? Like some AR features for maps. Now whilst that of course is really cool doesn't looking at your phone whilst walking around like encouraging you to do that isn't that bad right like you're spending even more time looking at the phone screen and not like the world around you and again there's utility in this stuff but there's utility in everything like i find it to be like a really awkward line to like show off and talk about new and amazing features whilst also trying to tell people you want them to use their phones less like i find the real battle with this like you want us to use our phones for more things, but also for less time. Like I think that this is a battle that all companies are going to play because what they really want to do, what they really want to do is have you use their devices for more mm. things. That's what they want because that's how the businesses work. And you can have conflicting feelings, but at the end of the day, they have to keep selling the phone to you because if they wanted you to use your phone less, they could just take features away and add nothing new, right? Like if that was their one hundred percent only goal, was to make you, is to like encourage you to explore the world and like blah 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 blah. Like for example, like Google was showing off Google Lens, and they're saying that oh, we're going to add all the Google Lens stuff directly into the camera. So now you can't even take a picture anymore without it wanting to tell you something about what you're seeing. Like I, I find it to be a problem that all of these companies will face. And if Apple show us this stuff in the same way, I'm going to have the same concerns. Like 
I, I just cannot genuinely believe that this is what you want, is for us to use our devices less, because you've spent the last 10 years trying to get us to use these devices more. And if this is something that you really cared about, I think that we would mm. see less new WizBang features. I, I just, I really struggle with I don't know, maybe this. the optimistic view is that not that they want you to use devices more, but that when you use them, you have the best experience that you could possibly have. So the optimistic view and the more positive view on this is that now these companies realize that we should have a better balance so that when we use our phones, we have these incredible features and there are, and they continue to, to become more and better uh, on, a, on an annual basis. But we should also be able at the same time to put them down more frequently and to you know be present and spend time with other people and look around and stuff. Um, but yes, I, I do understand your position, especially in the sense of the same companies that want you to stop using your phone are also selling you uh, headphones and tablets and computers and speakers mm-hmm. so that when you don't use the phone you can use all these other amazing use, devices use all their other stuff <laughs> don't use your phone use our watch instead exactly. don't use your phone exactly. use our screen in the kitchen like look I want all of this stuff I want more features and I want them to be considerate my problem is just I, I really struggle to find it genuine when they're on stage of all, like talking about all yeah, of these things yeah. because there is just no way in which it's not contradictory in my mind. Like, and and I also it's like you've always got to wonder, like, you know, what are, what is the business of these companies? And like, the business of these companies is to keep you using their devices, mm. right? Like, it, they, there's a lot yeah. of stuff that that could be done, right? Like, just around restricting the way notifications are used. Google and Apple could do this. Mm-hmm. They could cut off notifications for games. They could do that. My view on this is that as long as the feature is built and it exists, then it's good for us. It's like the Apple Watch, right? They want you to buy the Apple Watch. They want you to use apps or they want you... But there's the the workout stuff and the health stuff exists and that is good for us. So let the companies build Mm -hmm. these features for digital well-being and then it's up to us to use them. Um, and they can they can have whatever shady tactic they might have. So you you know you don't use your phone, you buy the tablet or you buy the watch and whatever. But as long as the feature is built and it, and people can use it, then I think that's good news. So at that moment, you know, it's up to us to take advantage of it. Um, whatever whatever yeah. the strategy, whatever the message from the corporation is, at least we have the feature. And then you could say, well, what if the feature is lying to you and it gives you numbers that are not correct? Well, I guess at the point we're screwed. So uh, I'm yeah. trying to be optimistic here. I want to be optimistic like you. <laughs> That's what I want. Like, you, I want to feel that you way. You used but... to, you made an entire year all about optimism. And now. You forgot yeah. about it. <laughs> I will say my my year of optimism was focused around mm. Apple. So right. like You're I still right. have a couple more weeks and like I'm being I'm being <laughs> negative about Google, which I don't know, maybe that is optimism for Apple, who knows. But like I I this this stuff is just like I want these features, but I I want them sold to me in a genuine yes, way yes, I mean, and like yeah. I I just can't I cannot reconcile everything Google was talking about. Mm-hmm with this digital well-being stuff like these two things 
they just don't they just they just weren't locked in the same in both places like i i didn't see digital well-being throughout everything that they were doing um even though that that's maybe, what they're saying that it's going to touch maybe everything. the assistant could call you and tell you put the phone down stupid <laughs> yeah like hey buddy go outside <laughs> Uh, go outside. Mm, I think it's uh, nice today. What if uh-huh. you go um, outside? <laughs> of course, there were a lot of really interesting features to Android P, more than we're going to get into today. But before we do wrap up today, I wanted to mention the gesture-based UI thing, kind of like the iPhone X, was uh, really, it's really telling. Because my favorite part of the demo was it was being done on a regular Pixel, which has a huge bezel. Yeah. And it's like, it looks really weird there. Um, something that I definitely want. So they're multitasking UI. They show the apps like cleanly side by side. And you can do text selection in multitasking. That is amazing. Uh, oh, also the text selection, that Google Lens thing. You'll be able to like put your camera up to a menu and select the text from the That's menu. That's amazing. That yeah. was really cool. Yeah. I think that was really cool. But again, like, oh, look, here's another way for me to use my phone in a restaurant. I thought I wasn't supposed to do that anymore. Anyway, uh, so yeah, there's some stuff coming and obviously all this gesture-based UI stuff. This is the difference between Google um, and Apple. Like, Google is showing you this now and it's clearly telling you what the Pixel 3 is about. Like, yeah. Apple did not show this at WWDC, right? Because they don't want you to know that obviously the phone is going to change, that the home button is going to go away. But Google do show this stuff, so it gives it gives you an idea of what the Pixel 3 is going to look like. Yeah, I think so. I think that does it. <sighs> I think we're done. I think that does it. Yeah. We, co- we covered 17 different companies today. Mm-hmm. Good job. Yeah. If you want to find links for all this stuff, you can do so on the website, relay.fm slash connected slash 192. You get in touch with us there. There's an email link in the sidebar. Or, of course, you can find us on Twitter. Federico is Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he is the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net. You can find Mike on Twitter as I-M-Y-K-E, and you can find a lot of shows that Mike hosts over on the Relay site, relay.fm slash shows. If you like Connected, you'll find something else that you'll love as well. And you can find me on Twitter as I-S-M-H, and I write 512pixels. .net. We'd like to thank our sponsors this week, Pingdom, Casper, and Layers. And until next time, boys, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Talio. Adios. I nearly said adios again. I had to take a moment to it's like supposed to be cheerio, really focus. Isn't it? Oh, sheesh. Can I just say cheerio and then you just put it in? No, probably not.